We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Recorded live. Hello, it's Michael the Hermit Adams, and it's old religion dystopia. Old religion dystopia. Old religion dystopia. Old religion dystopia. Knowing versus belief. And I can just try to do some more reading out of uh, mummies, cannibals, and vampires. I think I only got like a week left on it, as far as uh, until I get returned back. To it's been a difficult read for me. It's kind of morbid, to say the least. But it is part of our history. And as we are always hearing about uh, Native Americans and them being the cannibals, well, it turns out that our ancestors, our European ancestors, are uh, not much different. And uh, I just did a rant about... Uh, Ah, never mind. But you know, I just want to say something. When it comes to these subscri- to subscriptions or to sub, sub to uh, the YouTube channel, the, the only reason I would want anybody to do that is only so that they would uh, also, you know, the little bell symbol there, you click on that, and so you know when I'm doing a recording, so you would be, if you feel like it, be updated with what I'm doing. Uh this latest uh, farce of nonsense and just 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 more BS. I mean, I I really I'm debating. You know, I I enjoy doing the series with MK, and uh, hopefully it's for a while, and eventually it runs course like everything else as part of life. But I just don't know if I want to do too many more interviews. So. I'm going to be doing probably a lot more reading and that kind of thing and just sharing my journey like it was intended to be all along. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, if the audio sucks, it sucks. And part of that is uh, the headset and part of it is just my own voice. And uh, that I have, you know, well, one of the a big reason I do this as well is... Uh, <clears throat> to exercise, I'm wheezing today too. Uh, uh, to exercise uh, my vocal cords and keep them u- at use. And uh, you know, and if I can have people that follow me uh, as far as my journey, and I don't want followers per se. I just you know, I'm hopefully I'm sharing interesting topics and information. And I'd rather have 17 people who are actually interested in learning something that's real than 17,000 people that are being mindlessly entertained. Okay? So, and that's the reality. I don't care in the end of the day. If I was interested in numbers, uh, I'd be going down a different avenue. I would be doing a lot of clickbaiting. I would be doing a lot of video 
nonsense and uh, promoting my personality as poor as it may be. You know, I don't want to do that. Anyways, we'll start here. Nor should we forget, and uh, this book, I'm probably not going to be able to ever finish it. Uh, big uh, pages, small letters, and a lot of it is kind of re- repetitive, and quite frankly, it's so morbid, it's so disturbing. I don't know if I can. But then again, I guess it's part of the history of humanity, right? Okay, maybe we should, uh, we actually were reading this about uh, uh, we're talking about Finicos. We'll just read this. So we'll, we'll go back a little bit. Other evidence shows that fin, uh, Ficino, that's where it is, not Finico, Ficino's views would not have been considered widely uh, eccentric. As Camporisi points out, uh, the, oh boy, here we go going. The Padoan physician, Gio Beni Michel Savanarula, I guess it is, Savanarula, 1464, had stated that the quintessence of human blood was often utilized against hopeless diseases. In 1512, Jerome of uh, uh, Brunswick uh, described a water distilled from the blood of of a 30-year-old man of nature rejoicing of mind fair, clear, and wholesome from all sickness. Well, you don't want my blood then. Actually, I can't even donate blood because when I lived in England, they had the mad cow disease, and so they won't even let me give blood because I lived there at the time. So and the blood should be drawn uh, when superfluous about the middle of May, and its water could be rubbed on a ring. Excuse me a consumed member or on fistulas or drunk for consumptive fever and the consuming of the body. It was also supposed to make hair grow. Well, into the 16th century, the barber surgeon uh, Leonardo uh, Fioraventi from 1517 to 1588 was making yet greater claims for this, quote, fifth essence of human blood, with which rectified and spun, I have uh, as good as raised the dead, giving it 
as a drink to persons who had all but given up the ghost. Nor should we forget the following recipe for making jam. First, you should let it dry into a stinky mess. Or sticky mess, not stinky. Sticky mess. Let me get my uh, new glasses. I'm clean them off. I'm going to try to clean them off for fast if that helps. Just a little. Not much, but just a little. And uh, I'll go on from there. By the way, those few of you who do listen to my uh, rants and uh, my readings, as poor as they are, I should say I do appreciate it. I actually I do. You know I say I, I don't. I don't like the numbers. I don't care about the numbers. How many of them? As long as there's one person besides myself that's following, uh, I'm grateful. It's all that matters. I mean, if it's so, once again, the numbers don't matter. But um, for everyone that does follow uh, or listen, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so back to this about the uh, recipe to make jam. Uh, Place it upon a flat, smooth table of soft wood and cut it into thin little slices, allowing its watery part to drip away. Rick is talking about human flesh, right? When it is no longer dripping, place it in or on a stove on the same table and stir it to a batter with a knife. When it is absolutely dry, place it immediately in a warm, a very warm bronze mortar and pound it, forcing it through a sieve of finest silk. When it has all been sieved, Seal it in a glass jar. Renew it in the spring of every year. <clears throat> That's our ancestors, folks. Although, and it wasn't that long ago, was it? Although this formula is rather old, dating from 1679, it should be reliable as it was given by a Franciscan uh, apothecary. Uh, apothecary, that's what it is. A Franciscan apothecary. For all that, you may not want to try it at home. For the fruit involved is somewhat exotic. Let us run back a little to the source of the sole ingredient. Our apothecary, uh, apothecary advises us to, quote, draw blood from persons of warm, moist temperature, such as those of a blotchy red complexion, uh, rather plump and built, their body will be perfect, even if they have not red hair, let it dry, and a quote. Our source for this strange recipe 
Perot, a camp or rightly notes that we have here a kind of blood jam or marmalade. Almost a hundred years after the supposed transfusion given by Infesura, we find that human blood has a status which for some may blur into the most homely steams, or excuse me, yeah, homely steams and aromas of a, a well-stocked kitchen. Returning to the general history of corpse medicine, we find the German Magus Henricus Cornelius Agrippa um, inviting and, or I guess it is, yes, inviting, or inviting, inviting, in uh, 1526 against various strange and uncouth medicines and lamenting the use of human fat and the flesh of men embalmed in spices which they call mummy, like mummies and Egyptian mummies once again. The phrases, the phrasing of these last words may imply that mummy was still relatively novel at this point, while Agrippa was referring in part to the Egyptian form of corpse medicine. The herbalist uh, Leonard or Leonhard Fuchs, Fuchs, that's what it is, like much Fuchs with an S, uh, evidently had much fresher ingredients in mind when in 1535 he denounced the gory matter of cadavers sold for medicine in German pharmacies, going on to describe these latter later as the very offices of hangmen and shops of vultures. Gory matter associated with hangmen probably means at this time either uh, Paracelsian mummy, human fat, or both. The latter substance had been mentioned by Agrippa almost 10 years earlier. And and in 1534, the Italian medical author Antonius uh, Musa uh, Brazzavola, uh, 1500, argued in favor of its medical use. A few years later, the new jewel of health would cite para. Uh, Paracel, uh, Paracelsus on uh, the Greece of Mummia. This is Greece of Mummia. While the Paracelsian uh, Compendium of Leo Suvias 
recommended human blood and mummy in 1567. Paracelsians undoubtedly favored the freshest kind of corpse as a source of human flesh. The great polymath and medical iconoclast of 1491 to 1541, Paracelsus was supposed to have asserted that, quote, if a physician's or any other body understand or understood both the right use of this mummy and what it is good for, not any male factors would be left three days on the gallows or continue on the wheel, but would be swiftly stolen away for they would run any hazard for the procuring of these bodies. Uh, a paracelsus conditional phrasing clearly implies that few, if any, doctors were aware of the medical powers of newly dead corpses when he wrote... By the time that it was uh, proceeded into its medical viable form, the Paracelsian mummy was no longer gory. But it is hard to easily equate Buck's objective with human fat. What he could be referring to is the human flesh, which Apothecaries, um, uh, let me try this again, Apothecaries had acquired from hangman or gibbet, and which could be found in their shops before it was treated. Given the latter paracel, recipes have strips of flesh hanging up to be smoked and cured. This would also more broadly match Fox's angry contempt for shops of vultures. Whilst these possibilities are far from conclusive, they do suggest that Paracel non-Egyptian mummy may have been produced by certain practitioners at least a few years before he died and some decades before his recipes were published. Over the French border, Buck's contemporary Francis I in 1494 to 1547 had no such qualms. An especially keen believer in the efficacy of mummy as a treatment for bruising, Francis always carried it in his purse, fearing no accident if he had but a little of that by him. In 1555, the Italian humanist, uh, Gairo Lamo, 
Rousselli, Rousselli, I guess, first published his book of secrets. This book would become immensely popular, running through innumerable editions, and at last, seven languages, or at least seven languages, Rousselli, Rousselli, Rousselli uh, recommended mummy against flux or spitting of blood, ulcers, and tumors, both mummy and boiled human blood mixed with pomegranate flowers, coral, red wax, and mineral pitch against ruptures. If someone suffers a, no, a nosebleed, the blood should be burned on a plate of iron, maybe excuse me, and made into fine powder and blown into the sufferer's nostrils. Man's blood dried excuse me, man's blood dried in the sun and powdered will will staunch bleeding. That's what it says. When Pierre Boa Estus, I guess it's stool or stool Oz, I don't know how to pronounce that, anyways. Encyclopedic uh, Theater de Monde appeared in uh, 1558. It emphasized that the flesh embalmed is very sovereign in many uses of physics. And around the same time, we find new jewel of health prescribing mummy against head pains, gout, wounds, ulcers, eye problems, plague, poisoning, and worms. Whilst the Paracelsian mixture for wounds of the joints, which contain mummy, and is known as Christ, a Christ balm, like Jesus Christ, Christ balm. <clears throat> well, some of these mummy recipes were topical. Others, such as a water to combat the canker or fistu- the fistule, the falling sickness, the ringworm, the uh, serpigo, the joint sickness, the gout, and any pain of the sinews clearly had to be swallowed. French royal surgeon Ambrose, I guess it's Paris, uh, uh, Paris, uh, Paris um, 1510 to 1590, ultimately became one of the most vocal and empathetic opponents of uh, corpse medicine. Yet Paré, for all his own uh, antipathy, uh, confirms the continuing popularity of corpse medicine even as he attacks it. In 1585, he admits that mummy is the very first and last medicine of almost all our practitioners against bruising. In 1580, Perret treated Monsignor uh, Christophe 
Christophides Ursens for a fall from his horse. In keeping with his hostility to mummy, Perret used his own particular ingredients against Des Ursens' injuries. It has been noted for some time now that more privileged early modern individual individuals especially were often reluctant to defer to medical authority, while certain physicians were equally keen to pamper the whims of affluent clients. In our own day, when the scientifically based medical authorities has become far more powerful, the modern demand for antibiotics and the potentiality of bad image of doctors who will not dish them out with lavish recklessness offers some broad comparison. The recording, the recovering consciousness, excuse me, on recovering consciousness, does Ursins, rather than thanking Perret uh, for his enlightened stance, indignantly demanded to know why mummy had not been applied to the wound. Not long after Perret's death, the Danish king Christian IV in 1577 to 1648 suffered from epilepsy and accordingly took powders partly composed of the skulls of criminals as a cure. The... The continual picture which emerges here seems to be notably slanted towards Italy, Germany, France, and Switzerland. In the first case, this may be in part because of the rise of uh, anatomical uh, dissections in Italy in the first recorded public dissection uh, took place in Rome in 1512, which made corpse material a little more readily available for certain surgeons and decisions. As we will see, however, the factor should not be overemphasized, given the executioners could and did sell any parts of a felon's body to various practitioners and patients. In Switzerland, France, and Germany, the influence of Paracelsus was probably important. In Italy, there was evidently some demand for mummy from the early 16th century. The Carpe, for example, had seen the, quote, nearly intact bodies of ancient Egyptians in Venice sometimes before 1518. Elizabethan, uh, Elizabethan England. In terms of medical authority and published prescriptions, corpse medicine seems to be to have 
had a relatively marginal status in England until the 17th century. In his 1565 edition of Landfrank, of Landfrank, the surgeon John Hall noted, under mummia, the material pitch, or excuse me, mineral pitch of seraphim, or seraphim, along with mummia, uh, here we go, go ahead, serpulcurium, and I don't know if I'm saying any of this right, like uh, like sepulchers, sepulchurium, I guess that's how you pronounce it, and serapium, and ser, uh, let me try to say this again, uh, sepulchurium, that which is the most of the Arabians do mention, the results of the embalming and spicery of dead bodies at their burials as aloe, mirth, and bell samo. That's like it, like bell samo. Being uh, coagulated and ground together with the fat and moisture of the corpse into the body and the sand mummy of the desert, he was uncertain as to whether bodies could be preserved in this latter way, but stated quite explicitly that the mummy, which is now among our Apothecaries extent stated quite uh, yes extent was neither mineral pitch nor mummia sepulchrum but rather the very flesh of men's body or man's body as it were burned on a coal for both whole arms and whole legs have been here not rarely seen, being dried as black as coal. Wherefore, it must needs be thought the rather the merchants being from thence whole buried bodies and very parts of the same, or else that it becometh so by the means of diverse merchants, making report of, uh, if it be worthy, credit. I'm sorry, I mean, I'm just trying to, it's very difficult to read this book if you haven't figured it out. It's very difficult. Um, Anyways, I'm just going to keep on pursuing it. Uh, and I imagine it's very difficult to listen to and very difficult to understand. But the gist is, in the end of the day, it's just more and more verification of the fact that the Europeans were cannibals. But at the same time, they were calling indigenous populations in other areas they are colonizing cannibals. So...
And it looks like I missed somebody who was in the chat room. I apologize. I don't know. Is it blocked or not? I don't think it's blocked. I mean, I can't read and follow the chat room, so I just can't do it. I'm sorry. It's just too much. So I'm not trying to ignore you. Anyways, we should get back into this to the best of my ability. All right. Okay, so wherefore it must be needs thought that either the merchants bring from thence whole buried bodies or very or very parts of the same, or else that it becometh so. But that means that the that Diverse merchants make report of it, of if it be worthy credit. These reports are thus the of supposedly mummified sandstorm victims, which must mean that buried bodies refers to those normally interred, whether embalmed or not, having wondered if such a kind of mummification is possible. Hall presently shifts from speculation to certainty and concluding, but certainly it is men's flesh, either thus or otherwise dried into a coal. The phrase man's flesh arguably tilts nearer to the question of cannibalism than, say, dead bodies, which might be better suited to the transfigured flesh of ancient Egyptians. So to do, so to does Hall's uh, unambiguous assertion that the mummy used by London epithacrius at this time was that of the, the recent dead, the very flesh. We will see in chapter three that the brief, that his brief glance at alternative methods of mummification, either thus or otherwise dried, leads in a direction very different from the revered necropoles of the pharaohs. That's what it says, necropoles. Uh, what concerns us here is that Hall not only confirms the general use of recent dead mummies uh, by apothecaries, I don't know how to pronounce apothecaries, 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 I guess that's what it is. Uh, so anyways, Dead Mummies uh, by Apothecaries, but also very precisely supports this by reference to whole arms and whole legs not rarely seen in early Elizabethan, Elizabethan uh, London, dried as black as coal, those dealing in and handling Egyptian mummy for medicine were often quite exact about its correct texture and appearance, and it has it seems like unlikely 
that a working surgeon such as Hall would have confused the limbs of ancient Egyptians with those of contemporary desert dwellers or travelers. In 1562, the physician William Bolin published Bolin's bulwark of defense against all sickness, a work which may have been composed as early as 1560. This deliberately popularized book recommended mummy as one of the several ingredients in Thiraka, let me get my eyes there, Ganelli, that's what it says, and Thiraka, Galeni. This Galenic uh, trectle featured mummy along with wild phenol juice of black poppy, gentian honey, and wild yellow carrots to treat the following sicknesses and convulsions, as well as headaches, stomach pain, migraine, spitting of blood, and yellow jaundice. Elsewhere in this book, we are told that mummy comes from dead, the dead are richly embalmed with uh, precious ointments and spices, chiefly mirth and saffron and aloes. <clears throat> it hath virtue to staunch blood, to incarnate wounds, and when tempered with, oh gosh, here we go, cassia fistule, and drunk with plantain water. It is very good against bruises. Human blood was also included and plasters against ruptures and dysentery. The brief words on the uh, derivation of mummy suggest that the substance still needed explaining in England at this time. They show, too, that Boland appeared to be comfortable with an agent which he explicitly described as coming from dead bodies, and that much of its virtue was attributed to the embalming materials and processes, because the said dead. Bolin also quite precisely notes that to help the falling sickness, mummy should be beaten into powder and squirted with Maria, a Mari. Uh, looks like there's something Mari. There's something missing there. Mary, Mary. I guess it's Maria. Um, we'll just say that I don't know. It's 
there's a blob there, Merriam, I guess, water, into the nostrils. Of course, now we're talking about a time English language was used different. Of course, English language dumbed down, and so am I. So I am struggling with reading this. I am so sorry. I wish I was a better reader, but I am not. Anyways, and a, eh, maybe a bit of a dollar, too, as they say back then. And Boland, then we find both some of the earliest English medical references to mummy and blood medicine, and tellingly, some of the earliest printed references to Paracelsus. Paracelsus. And English medical writing, given what we will hear later about blood medicines, it is also interesting to find Bolin noting in the marginal society that the blood of man is to be had at the barbers or blood letters, after which it must be dried in the oven. That's right. The barbers are the bloodletters. <clears throat> in 1575, the Queen's surgeon, John Bannister, I, I could say that name quite well, described a water of rhubarb and mummy drunk for ulcers of the breast and a mummy plaster for the Tumorous ulcer. Come Bannister's 1589 uh, antidotory, that's what it says, antidotory, like antidote, antidotory chi or uh, chai ru That's what it says, chai ru. Uh, these two references have flourished into numerous balms and plasters and drinks and powders and oils chiefly aimed at the wounds, fractures and ruptures and surgical hemorrhaging, but also for ulcers and inflammations. This change may have resulted partly from Bannister's friendship with fellow royal surgeon William, uh, I guess it's Close, uh, like Lowe's with a C in front of it, Close, whose surgical textbook in 1588 cited mummy and recipes against the bleeding from uh, amputation and against wounds. But chief credit is probably due to Bannister himself. He has been noted, for example, for his efforts to promote a closer union between surgeons and the then more narrowly theoretical physicians. Hence, in 1578, he published an important um, and anatomical textbook, The History of Man, with uh, Vaseline 
uh, Vaseline illustrations, sources Vaseline illustrations and texture from the influential Italian anatomy professor Rialdo Colombo. Colombo. So Rialdo, Rialdo Colombo. And this in turn may have helped uh, to coax or shame the physicians into establishing a new uh, Lumlian anatomy lectures found in 1582. Uh, Bannister's interest in recent medical developments on the continent is a fairly accurate reflection of the profile of mummy in England up to 1600. At this stage, continental influence was particularly important. A search for mummia or mummia or mummy or mummia of the early English books online database inclusive of 1600 use only those English authors already cited with two editions. One amply enough is the travel writer Richard uh, Heckliot or Lute uh, or Lyot. I'm going to say Richard Heckliot and it's, it's H A K L U Y T. So heck, loot. Or lu, I don't know. Lewit. Something like that. And the second is the poet and translator George Turberville. Turberville. I could say that. Other citations, you could tell that I have a uh, an American English education, as poor as it is. So I can kind of save English names, but I can't really say much of anything else properly. So, um, And that's just the way it's going to be until I die. Son of a bitch. Other citations come from the English translation of uh, Dutch Dutch knee the Dutchese uh, Rousseli, Cornelius, Schylander, uh, Paracelsus, and the German surgeon Johann, Johann Jacob Recker, translated by Bannister. In addition to its early mentions in Paracelsus, Paracelsus a bullion or Bolin's work relies to some extent on Leonhard Fuchs and Gessner or Gessner. He may also have studied some time in Germany in the 1550s. Paul cites continental sources such as Abrazavola, 
and uh, Matt Theolus and Bannister's 1589 work includes uh, Paracelsian recipes and ingredients. It's a heavy read, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a um, basically Richard Suggs. This is a, a academic textbook that can only, that I could only find uh, by the Hiram College Library, their their own library. So it's not like it's something that's common. It's in everybody's uh, library, and uh, it's a very difficult read, and it's a very difficult listen. I understand if very few people listen to it. For those that do, I salute you. You're somebody that really wants to know some true history and wants to know what's really going, what, what happened in the past, and how it's infl- influenced us. And it's as usual. Books of truth that are scholarly works are difficult to read. As I said earlier, I'll say once again, son of a bitch. As well as relying on continental authors at this time, English corpse medicine is also notable for being promoted by surgeons rather than physicians. Whilst Bolin is described as a physician by his biographer, Patrick Wallace, his educational background is obscure. He is not known to have gained an MD, and he was never a member of the Royal College of Physicians, although his ability to escape their censor is no small achievement, and you'll you'll find also very necessary to come to the truth. (laughs) <clears throat> That's very revealing of what was going on then and today in academia. As well as the influence of Hall, Bannister, and uh, Close, we should also note that in 1576, translation of Gessner was partly the work of the London surgeon George Baker, Gustav Ungerer, in the DNB notes that Baker considered himself a Galentius who thought it's opportune, it opportune to warn against the harm done by empirics of. Uh, Paracelsians, but he nonetheless kept an open mind about chemical medicine. It was another surgeon, George Barrow, who in his highly popular medical work in 1583 recommended various powders of epileptic including one from the skull of a man burned. In Scotland, the influential surgeon Peter Lowe in 1550 broadly echoed and surpassed Bannister's efforts to unite surgery and elite physics 
and spent perhaps 30 years of his early career in France. In 1579, Lowe noted, notes, Sangius, uh, or Sangius, it's like the same, the same name as that, uh, 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 what's his name? What is he again? He is a Jesuit priest educated in Georgetown, supporting the geocentric model of a globe world. So Sangius, humanus, humanus, utus, human skull burned, amongst various medi. Um, Medicaments, that's what it says, medicaments, which stay the flux of blood. Of course, we're using old language here, and I wish they would have. It would be nice if this book was translated in modern English. But you know what? The same token, it forces me and I guess the listeners to focus a little harder and learn a new few words, even if they are archaic. They're still being used in academia, even if they are archaic. So, so be it. What do you do about it? You could ignore the information, or you plow through it and get to the point. Of course, the point's already been made, but it's being reinforced over and over again that Europeans were cannibals for a very long time. And their use of corpse medicine didn't negate that. And necromancy was big, 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 big business. Yeah. So this is the classic example of the kettle calling the pot black, right? Or the pot calling the kettle black, however you want to say it. Um, uh, when it comes to calling everyone else savages, when... Uh, European Christian Christian European so, uh, society was only had the facade of uh, uh, civility, and that facade was the use of clothes and clothing and uh, status and the use of um, a, a caste system. So. The caste system was not uniquely Indian in any way or Hindu. Um, it's you'll find it every, everywhere throughout Eurasia and Africa and Americas, and it's still going on today. And, and where do I stop? I think I want to stop right here. I only plugged through four four pages. Well, that was a hell of a struggle. I'll keep struggling along until it's time for the, the book to, to be due and maybe even keep it going. I don't really care. I don't care if anybody listens to it. I mean, I do care if somebody listens. I do care if you listen to it, but I don't know how to present this in any other way. I guess I could try to type it all out, but then that's plagiarism. and then You can't really blame me for plagiarism if I stumble it through reading it. I'm just reading the book. And no one in their right mind is going to want to have pay a copy of me reading it. So, and I can I won't even probably get through the book to even fully plagiarize it. Anyways, all credit goes to the author, 
of the book, which is not me, obviously, but is Richard Sugg, S-U-G-G. And if you want to have a more sophisticated approach to what mummies are, cannibalism, and vampires, a more educated look at it, then I guess you get the book. Or you can do what everybody else does and just make up shit. Or it's my opinion. It's my opinion. It says here, uh, 83 called, uh, Sexton 83 nonsense. Host, can we blame the Jews on this call? If not, I will exit. Oh, God, he's talking about satanic uh, sacrifices. Spirit cooking, Al Clinton style, are you? I'm scared this call is scary. Three Hail Marys and I'm out. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's a very dark book. And it's a, let's be honest. It's a very if we're if we're honest, if we can be honest. Uh, uh, those of us that have European descent in us and ancestry, we have a dark history. And either we address it honestly, or we don't. I I choose to do it to the best of my ability, as honest as I can. And um, you know. This is what they were. This is how they are. This is how they are today in many ways. The spirit cooking and all that, yeah. Where did it come from? Whose idea was it first? Whose idea of Satan was first? Uh, Satanic rituals, sacrifice, whose was it first? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know what I mean? I don't know. I do know one thing. Our ancestry and our past is full of it, full of very dark elements and persists to this day one way or the other, one form or the other. So, yeah, it's morbid, isn't it? But I guess if you can look at it as mature as you can, it becomes just part of your history. Just as World War II and uh, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution and, uh, uh, oh, you know, and all the financiers from coming from the States and from New York and um, Britain were backing them and also Hitler and everything else. And that they had a giant human uh, sacrificial uh, ceremony called World War One and World War Two, in which... And then the Korean War, and then the Vietnam War, and every other war. They are satanic rituals. And unfortunately, the youth, the brave, the young and the brave, and the uh, the patriotic are used as, as tools, uh, useful dupes, and uh, just like the rest of us, and most never figure it out. And in fact, they bury their thoughts and emotions and drugs and, and alcohol. And that a trans, you know, you see a lot of the violence in the family, and all that comes strictly from society and culture itself. And when you live 
uh, in a warring culture, which, by the way, is unilateral. It's unanimous. There's not a culture out there. There's cultures like to pretend they're not, but I don't know any society that's not violent by its nature. Humans are, are violent. At times, cannibals. At times, vampires. Um, that's that's human history. Now, you can talk about all the cryptids all you want, but I know for certain that humans are doing that. And I've done that. I know that for certain. How do I know that? Because there's enough historical data to put it together and people have done their time and spent their time in stale, moly-smelling libraries throughout the world researching it. And medical medicine, the use of mummies, <clears throat> the use of corpse medicine, just say not medical medicine, corpse medicine, uh, it's just part of our history. What do you do about that? I expect most people not to even want to listen to this. And I say most. I mean, that's that's an understatement. I'm saying that if the few dozen that you of you that will listen to this, uh, who can tolerate my my uh, speaking, my poor reading, um, the poor audio, are ones that really want to know the truth. And you will come away, as me, uh, we don't even have to finish the book necessarily to come to the realization that the history, here, European history, uh, is dark. It's violent. It's cannibalistic. Good chance that one of your ancestors was a real vampire. A blood drinker. And so you don't need Bella Lugosi and everybody else to know what a vampire is. You can just look in the mirror and there's a good chance that your descendants were one of those things. Maybe you are now. If any of the rumors are even close to being true, but like hamburgers from McDonald's or whatever, um, it's probably just BS. I hope it's just BS. I pray it's just BS. But then again, there's a lot of money to be made for a lot of sick SOBs out there and dead human bodies. And I wouldn't be surprised that after they bury you in the grave, they dig you up and then they send you to some kind of uh, meat grinder and turn you into hamburgers. I wouldn't be surprised. Would you? If you are, you're very naive about human history. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.